Amen. All right, well, we're there in Matthew chapter 19, and of course, we've been going through a series this summer called Encounters with Christ, and we've been focusing in on the different encounters that the Lord Jesus Christ has had with different individuals. We've been listening in on his conversations, and we haven't been looking at parables unless they're in the conversation, and we haven't been looking at miracles, but we've been looking at just these these conversations, how Jesus dealt with people, how Jesus talked to people, how he answered their questions, and how he helped them out. And today we find ourselves again in a very well-known uh, passage, and it is a story commonly referred to, or usually referred to as uh, the rich young ruler. And we see this encounter that Jesus has. And I like this one uh, because we've seen him, we've seen Jesus fellowshipping. Remember last week he was in the house of Simon having a meal. And we've also seen Jesus soul winning. And today we're going to see him soul winning again. In this passage, he has this conversation and we learn some great truths about sinners, about salvation and about soul winning. So we're just going to walk through this and I'll give you uh, the, the points as we go through. The first thing I'd like you to notice in this conversation, is that we see the hang-ups of a self-righteous sinner. And here's what you need to understand. Usually, when we go out and we preach the gospel to people, we uh, encounter self-righteous, religious people, and they have some hang-ups in regards to the gospel. They have some presuppositions. And a presupposition is uh, something that someone may, may suppose or assume uh, beforehand. It's a preconceived uh, idea. It's something that they think to be true, they assume to be true, and it's, uh, it's really not. And we see that in the story that this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he's got some hang-ups and he has some hang-ups because he's self-righteous and he's uh, religious. He is. These are the hang-ups of a religious sinner. These are the hang-ups of someone who uh, is, is very moral, who is very religious, who is very committed, but they are a sinner. And I want you to notice the presuppositions that he comes to Jesus with. The first one is this, and you'll notice, when we look at these, you'll notice if you've been out soul winning or if you've tried to ever preach the gospel to someone, you'll notice that these are extremely common among religious people. The first one is this, that he thought that mere man could be good. He thought, and he had this preconceived presupposition, this assumption, that man in general could be good. Notice what it says there in Matthew 19 and verse number 16. The Bible says this, And behold, one came, and this is, of course, the rich young ruler, and said unto him, I want you to notice what he says. He says, good master. He refers to Jesus as the good master. But here's what you need to understand, and I'm going to show it to you uh, from, from the passage, and I'll show it to you from another passage, that this uh, individual that is coming to Jesus, he does not believe that Jesus is God. He believes that Jesus is just a mere person. So when he refers to Jesus as a good master, he is referring to him as an individual, as a person, as a human being, but he has this presupposition that tells him that mere man can be good, that you and I can be good people, that we can be good religious people, that we could even be good enough to go to heaven simply by the way we live our lives. And this is what he assumes of Jesus. So he's got some, some mistakes here just about man in general and then, of course, about Jesus. He comes to Jesus. He says, good master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And I want you to notice that Jesus deals with the first presupposition and he deals with the fact that only God is good. Notice verse 17. And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? Now again, Jesus knows that this guy does not believe that he is God. He simply sees him as a teacher, a rabbi, a master. 
He said, why callest thou me good? He says, there is none good but one that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandment. So notice, he says, good master. And Jesus says, well, I know you don't think I'm God, but yet you still think I'm good. You think I'm a person, just a regular human being. That's good. Well, you're wrong on that. He says, hey, don't call me. If you don't think I'm God, don't call me good. He said, why callest thou me good? He says, there's none good but one that is God. Now, keep your place there in Matthew 19. That's our text for this morning. Go with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter number three. You're there in Matthew. You're going to go Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Romans chapter three. And if you've ever been out soul winning, you know this is true, that many religious people out there have this presupposition, they have this preconceived idea that mere man can be good. And if you don't believe me, go out soul winning this afternoon and knock on some doors of some very nice, good, religious, moral people and ask them the question, do you know for sure if you died today, are you on your way to heaven? And there are some religious people, there are some moral people, usually when people tell you, oh, I, I don't think I'm going to go to heaven, it's because they know that they've lived a sinful life, they know that they're not religious. But you get somebody out there who's just a good Catholic, who's just a good Lutheran, who's just a good Mormon, who's just a good Muslim, who's just a good Hindu, you get somebody out there who's just doing their best, following their com- the commandments, following their religion, and you ask them, hey, do you know for sure you're on your way to heaven? Well, yeah, I think I'm on my way to heaven. And then you follow up and say, well, let me ask you this. What gives you that confidence that you're on your way to heaven? Well, I'm, I'm just doing my best. Well, I, I'm just living a good life. Well, I'm just trying to be good to people. I'm trying to love people. I'm trying not to hurt others. I'm trying not to harm others. I'm just, I'm, I, I, I've been, I'm a pretty good person. People out there, religious people, have this preconceived presupposition that mere man can be good. And here's what you need to understand. According to the Bible, that is wrong. And sometimes it's difficult to, to look at someone and say, hey, look, I realize that you think you're a good person, and by human standards, you probably are a very good person, but in regards to going to heaven, there is none good, and you are not good enough. Romans chapter 3, look at verse 10. Notice what the Bible says. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says this, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. The word righteous, if you see the first part of the word righteous there, it's it's the word right. Someone who's righteous is someone who always does right or someone who's without wrong. You and I would uh, uh, say the word perfect today. We'd say, and here he's saying there's none righteous, there's none perfect, no, not one. Notice, there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God, they're all gone out of the way, they're all together become unprofitable. Why don't you notice these words? There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And today people say, well, I can't be, I'm a pretty good person. No, understand this. There's only one that's good, and that's God. God is good, and other than God, there is none that doeth good. So look, even today, you might be sitting here and thinking to yourself, we might have a guest here this morning who's thinking, well, I'm a pretty good person. And here's the thing, I'm sure you are, by human standards. But the standard's God. This is why the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So this rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He says, I know you're not God. I, I, I know you're just a person, but you're a good person. He says, good master. And Jesus says, wait a minute. If I'm good, I'm God. And if I'm not God, then I'm not good. He said, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Go, go to Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter 10. Now let me show you 
why I believe that this rich young ruler does not believe that Jesus is God. You say, well, what makes you think that he doesn't believe that Jesus is God? Now, we're going to be dealing with Matthew 19. That's our text for this morning. But in Mark chapter 10, we have a parallel passage to the story. It's the same story being told by Mark. And sometimes we can compare these and get a little different insight or different things that were said. And I want you to notice what Mark uh, writes down for us in regards to the conversation, the encounter between Jesus and the rich young ruler. Mark chapter 10, look at verse 17. It's very similar, but there's a couple of differences I'd like to point out. Mark ten seventeen. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him. All right, so here's our rich young ruler. Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So notice he comes to Jesus again, says, good master. And Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. Jesus says, hey, only God is good. If I'm good, I'm God. But you don't think I'm God. So if you don't think I'm God, then don't go around calling me or man good. And, 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 and you say, well, why is Jesus dealing with this? What's the big deal? It's, we're going to come back to it and it's going to make sense here at the end. But he says, look. There is one that is good, and that is God. He said, if you don't think I'm God, then don't call me good. Verse 19, thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, uh, defraud not honor thy father and thy mother. And he answered and said unto him, and I want you to notice this. When he shows up, he says, good master. Then Jesus says, only call someone who you believe to be God good. Because only God is good. So if, I, if you're going to call me good, then you need to acknowledge my deity as God. So how does a young man respond? Verse 20. And he answered and said unto him, Okay, master. Notice how he drops good. He comes saying, good master. Jesus says, only call, only call God good. So he says, okay, then I'll just call you master because I don't think you're God. And this young man was denying the deity of Christ. He did not believe that Jesus was more than just a mere man. He says, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Now go back to Matthew 19, and, and let me just say this while you turn there. This story of the rich young ruler is often used by the cults who deny the, G, the deity of Jesus Christ, and they'll say, see, here's a passage, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses, or they'll say, here's a passage that shows that uh, Jesus is not God. Because Jesus said there's only one good, and that's God. You know, but here's the, here's the problem with that, is that if you look at a Jehovah's Witness, if you look at a Mormon, if you look at a Muslim, if you look at someone who denies the deity of Jesus Christ, and, and I realize the Mormons have a weird belief about deity and all those things, but if you look at someone who denies the, the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ, they, and you said, hey, only God is good. Do you believe Jesus is God? No, Jesus isn't God. Is Jesus good? Are you going to say Jesus isn't good? They'll all say, oh no, Jesus was a good man. Oh no, Jesus was a good prophet. Oh no, Jesus was a good teacher. Here's the thing. There is none that do with good. If Jesus was good, and he was, then he was God. If Jesus was righteous, if Jesus was perfect, if Jesus was sinless, if Jesus was without sin, then he was God, because there is none that do with good. No, not one. So we see the presupposition this young man comes to Jesus with. What's the first one? It's this, that mere man can be good. That a, mo a normal man can be good. And the idea is this, they can be good enough to go to heaven. And that leads us into our second presupposition, which is this. Not only did he have a preconceived idea that mere man could be good, he had a preconceived idea connected to that thought that salvation could be earned by your good works. 
So he thinks a normal man can be good, and a normal man can earn salvation by how good they are. Notice again Matthew 19, verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master. Now notice the question. What, don't miss these two words, good thing. Do you see that? What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? This young man comes to Jesus and he asks a very specific question. He says, what good thing shall I do? Now, if you read this, uh, if you just read this story and you're not really kind of paying attention or you're just kind of reading through it, you might think, well, this is a similar uh, question to, uh, there's, there's other questions in the Bible where people are asking in regards to salvation. But I want you to notice, let's compare and contrast this question to a very famous question in Acts chapter 16. Now, notice there, keep your finger there, Matthew 19. He says, what good thing shall I do? Go to Acts chapter 16 and verse 30. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 16 and verse 30. In Acts 16, we have a very famous story of the Philippian jailer asking about salvation. But I want you to notice how he asked the question. Acts chapter 16 and verse 30. Acts chapter 16 and verse 30 says this, And he brought them out and said, this is the Philippian jailer, here's the question, What must I do to be saved? And of course, verse 31, and they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, that's how you get saved, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved in thy house. But I want you to notice, the Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? What is it that needs to be done in order for me to be saved? And they said, well, all you need to do is believe. The rich young ruler says, what good thing shall I do? See, his emphasis is on good works. His emphasis is on what commandments do I have to keep? How many good things do I need to do in order to go to heaven? Go back to Matthew uh, chapter 19. And here's what I want you to understand. When we begin this passage and we get dig into this conversation, the first thing we see is the hang-ups of a religious sinner. And you, are if you go out soul winning, if you go out knocking on doors, which you should, if you go out and preach the gospel to your friends and your loved ones, to your co-workers and your neighbors, which you should, you're probably going to run into some pretty, by human standards, good people. Some pretty, by religious standards, religious people. You're going to run into somebody who thinks, and they're going to have these same presuppositions. They're going to think, mere man can be good, and mere man can be good enough to go to heaven. This is the conversation Jesus is having. So we see the hang-ups. We see the hang-ups of a religious sinner. But I'd like you to notice, secondly, we see how it's handled by a responsible soul winner. So look, these are the presuppositions. These are hang-ups religious people have. Mere man can be good, and mere man can be good enough to go to heaven. You say, well, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Well, we have the uh, great privilege of listening in on one of Jesus' soul-winning demonstrations. We get to be the silent partners with the Lord Jesus Christ as he deals with his individual's hang-ups. So let's notice, secondly, how it's handled by a responsible soul winner, the most responsible soul winner that's ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he does. Jesus uses the commandments to bring him to Christ. Notice verse 17. Remember, the question was asked, what good thing shall I do, right? Verse 17. And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. We dealt with that. Now notice the answer to the question. But if thou wilt enter into life, here's the answer, keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. Now you say, well, wait a minute, why is it that Jesus is telling the rich young ruler to keep 
the commandments. And that seems a little uh, confusing. And, 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 and you need to understand this. When we look at Jesus presenting the gospel and preaching the gospel, this is why it's dangerous to say, well, I'm going to present the gospel exactly like Jesus presented. Here's a problem with that. You're not God. <laughs> Jesus is God. Jesus can read their thoughts. He knows their hearts. He knows exactly. You, can't, you don't understand the heart of the individual you're talking to. So you know what you better do when you preach the gospel? You better just go through every step of the gospel presentation and make sure they understand uh, everything because you don't know what their hangups are. But Jesus was God. We already talked about that. He's already talked about the fact, hey, I'm, I, I'm good, you're right, that means I'm God. And now he's going to prove to this young man, not only am I God and I'm good, but you're not and you're not. <laughs> you're not God and you're not good. And I'm going to deal with you based on the thoughts of your heart. So Jesus said, well, Jesus, why did Jesus tell him to keep the commandments? Well, number one, he's answering his question. That's what he asked. And here's what you need to understand. The answer is technically true. If someone were able to keep the commandments, then they would go to heaven. If someone was able to be born, never sin, never break the commandments of God, never do anything wrong, if they were able to keep the commandments perfectly, then they would go to heaven. You say, well, but nobody can do that. Exactly. See, when people, you say, why, why do we use the commandments as a tool in our gospel presentation. Here's why. Because when people realize that they cannot keep the commandments, then they realize, I need somebody to save me. I can't save myself. And the law, the law becomes a schoolmaster that brings them to Christ. Go to Galatians chapter number 3. Galatians 3. You're there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians. Galatians. Galatians chapter number 3. Galatians chapter 3. And look at verse number 24. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 24. Notice what the Bible says. Wherefore, Galatians 3, 24, wherefore the law, notice what it says, was our schoolmaster, was our teacher, was our instructor. To what? To teach us how to live a righteous life so that we could go to heaven? No, you, you can never do that. Here's the thing. Technically, theoretically, you could do that, but here's the thing. Practically, you can't do that. I can't do that. We sin before we even figure out what sin is. We sin before we even understand what the law is. We're born with a sin nature that causes us to sin. You say, oh, am I a sinner because uh, I sin? No, you sin because you're a sinner. You were born with a sin nature, and you're sinning before you understand the law. You're sinning before you understand sin. The Bible defines sin as a transgression of the law. You say, well, what's the purpose of the law in regards to salvation? Key words, in regards to salvation. There's many purposes to the law. What's the purpose of the law in regards to salvation? Here's what the purpose is, to bring us unto Christ. That we might be justified by faith. You say, why? Well, you're there, you're there in Galatians 3. Look at verse number 10. Galatians 3 and verse 10. He says, for as many as are of the works of the law. Because look, many religions out there say, live a, live a good life, keep the commandments, do what you're supposed to do, and you'll go to heaven. Here's the problem with that. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not, don't miss this, 
in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You say, rich young ruler. He asks, can I keep the law in order to go to heaven? Can I keep the commandments? And Jesus says, yes, you can. You can keep all the commandments and go to heaven. But here's the problem. Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book. Here's what he's saying. You better keep them all. You better do all of them. You better do everything. So if you want to ask me, you want to ask me the question, you know, can I keep the law in order to go to heaven? Well, the answer is yeah. But you put yourself under a curse because you have to keep every law in the Bible. Go, go back to Matthew chapter 19. Actually, you know what? Go to Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. Old Testament, second book. Genesis, Exodus, Exodus 20. You say, why did Jesus tell the rich young ruler to keep the commandments? Well, first of all, because this is technically true. If someone were able to keep the commandments, then they would be able to go to heaven. But please understand this. Jesus is not teaching a work salvation here. He's not teaching this young man, so go, go live a good life, and that will get you into heaven. No, Jesus is bringing this up because he's going to draw the net. Because you know what Jesus does in this conversation? He puts his finger right on the sin that this guy, the commandment that this guy is not keeping. Why? Because the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. You say, why did Jesus bring up the commandments? Because when people realize that they cannot keep the commandments, then the law becomes a schoolmaster, an instructor, that instructs them that you're not good enough. Because there's only one good, and it's God. Now, let's just take a break for a moment from the sermon, and let me kind of explain something to you about the commandments, because Jesus obviously is God, and he has some understanding about the commandments. He wrote them. He gave them. And in order for you to understand the sermon, and, and, and you need to understand this context, and if you don't understand this, it's fine. You'll still get the truth, but it'll help you understand some things. So let's just take a, a quick commercial break from the sermon, and let me just talk to you about the law real quickly, or the commandments. And here's what you need to understand. The commandments in the Bible are, uh, are, are, are broken up into two sections or into two parts. Now, you're there in Exodus chapter 20. This is, of course, the famous passage with the Ten Commandments. There's more than just Ten Commandments in the Bible, but this is the big Ten. This is the, if you got to remember Ten, these are the Ten you want to remember. And you may have never noticed this before, but the Ten Commandments are divided into two parts. The first part is the commandments dealing with man and his relationship with God. The second part is is the part dealing with man and his relationship with other men. All right? So the the first part is man dealing with God. The second part is man dealing with men. Let me show it to you. You're in Exodus chapter 20. Look at verse 3. Notice the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. All right? So we have a command there in regards to our relationship with God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Look at verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. Look at verse 5. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them. So there we have the second commandment, which is in regards to making graven images and bowing down to them. And that is a command in regards to man and his relationship with God. First commandment, don't have any other gods before me. Second uh, commandment, don't make any idols and worship them. Look at verse 7. Here's the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Alright? So you shouldn't be going around saying, oh my, and using God's name in vain. That is actually forbidden by Scripture. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That's the third commandment. And again, it's in regards to man's relationship with God. 
Notice verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And again, this was in the Old Testament when the Sabbath day was enacted, but it was in regards to man and his relationship uh, with God. Now, in the fifth commandment, we have a transitional commandment. Well, we're going to now transition between the commandments that have to do with man and his relationship with God, and we're going to transition into the commandments that have to do with man and his relationship with man. Notice verse uh, 12. The fifth commandment could fall under both categories. The fifth commandment is this, honor thy father and thy mother. Now you say, well, why can this commandment fall under both categories? Well, because God is our father. So this could still apply to our relationship with God. But of course, he's talking about your earthly father and mother. So now we're talking about commandments that have to do with our relationship and man. So notice the first commandments were our relationship with God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Don't make any idols. Don't take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now he begins to give us commandments that deal with our relationships within with other people. Honor thy father and thy mother, verse 12. Notice the sixth commandment, verse 13. Thou shalt not kill. No, that has nothing to do with God. You can't kill God. He's talking about don't, don't kill the people around you. Verse 14 is number 7. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Verse 15 is number 8. Thou shalt not steal. Verse 16 is number 9. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Verse 17 is verse 10. Thou shalt not covet, and he tells you what not to covet, thy neighbor's house, his ox, his wife, his servants. And notice that the Ten Commandments are divided into two parts. The first part deals with the commandment dealing with God, with man and his relationship to God. Go to Matthew, <clears throat> go to Matthew chapter 22, if you wouldn't mind. Matthew chapter 22. The first part is dealing with man and his relationship with God. The second part is dealing with man and his relationship with other men, with other men, with other humans, right? Now notice, I want to just show this to you even further. In Matthew 22, Jesus takes the big ten, because look, there's 600 some odd uh, commandments in the Bible. In Exodus, in the Old Testament, God brings those and just kind of bring, funnels them down into the, the big ten, the ten commandments. But then in the New Testament, Jesus takes those ten and he funnels them down into two commandments. Notice what he says. Matthew 22, verse 36. He's asked the question. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, notice part one. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and the great commandment. So he says, look, if you want to just bring it all down into one commandment, here's the commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. You say, why? Because if I love the Lord thy God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, if I give my entire life to God, then guess what? I'm not going to put other gods before him. I'm not going to worship other idols. You know, and obviously we don't keep the Sabbath day today as New Testament believers, but here's the truth. I'm not going to skip out on church, you know, the, uh, if we want to apply it as New Testament believers to a day that maybe we set aside for good, for, for God. I'm, I'm not going to skip out on church on Sunday morning because the football game's on if I love the Lord like my God with all my heart, my soul, my mind. If I love the Lord like my God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, you know what I'll do on Sunday night at 6 p.m.? I'll ask myself this question. What would God want me to do right now? Would God want me to be in the house of God, with the people of God, under the preaching of the word of God on Sunday night? Or would God want me just hanging out in my backyard, doing whatever I do on Sunday night? You know, on Wednesday night, it's an easy question. 
Pastor Ben, I've been wondering coming to Wednesday night Bible study. But you know, there's a lot of traffic on Wednesday nights. Okay, well, ask yourself this question. What would God want you to do on Wednesday night? Stay home and watch primetime TV? Stay home and just, you know, sit, watch Facebook? Or, or look, just ask yourself, if I, if I put God first in everything, then guess what? If you put God first in everything, it'll change your life. It'll revolutionize your life. You don't need all the other commandments if you just follow this one commandment. To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might, with everything that I have and everything that I have. Hey, look, if you lived your life like that, you know what people would say of you? They'd say you are a zealot. They'd say you're an occult. They'd write bad things about you in the LA Times. (laughs) Change your life. And Jesus says, Jesus says, hey, you want to bring all the commandments down to one commandment? Here it is. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. But then notice, then he gives a second commandment. Because that covers part one, right? Here's part two, verse 39. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He says, look, the second, he, let me go ahead and give you the second greatest commandment, to love thy neighbor as thyself. Because, you know, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to kill him. You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to covet after him. You're not going to steal from him. And here's all I'm showing you. And notice what he says, verse 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Here's what Jesus is saying. You keep these two commandments, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might, and you love your neighbor as yourself, meaning you don't do something to your neighbor that you wouldn't want somebody doing to you. He said, if you can figure out how to keep those two commandments, you, you'll keep all of them. And here's the only reason I'm bringing it up. I just want you to understand. This is a consistent theme through the Bible. That the commandments in the Bible, whether it's the ten or the big two, they're divided into these two sections. Our relationship with God and our relationship with man. Now, with that said and with that understanding, let's jump back into our conversation with the rich young ruler. Go back to Matthew chapter 19. You're there in Matthew 22. Just flip back to Matthew 19. Because remember, this young man says, hey, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? What commandments, what, do I need, what, what works do I need to do? And Jesus says, okay, you want to ask me that question? I'll answer it for you. Keep the commandments. So notice what he says, verse 18. He saith unto him, which? He says, well, which one do I need to keep? Jesus and really, really, he's kind of saying to Jesus, test me. I'm so good. I'm so moral. I'm so religious. I've got it so put together. Tell, tell me which ones I need to keep, and let's see if I'm missing any. And Jesus said, now I want you to notice, because remember, the Ten Commandments are divided into two parts, right? Versus Commandments 1 through 4, or maybe 1 through 5, could be applied to man's relationship with God. Commandments 5 through 10 could be put in a section that have to do with man's relationship with man. Notice Jesus kind of cherry picks certain commandments for this young man. Because this young man says, well, which? Which ones do I need to keep? Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder. That's commandment number 6. What part does that come from? Part 1 or part 2? Part 2. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's commandment number 7. What part does that come from? Part 1 or part 2? Part 2. Thou shalt not steal. That's commandment number eight. What part does that come from? Does that come from part one or part two? Part two. Thou shalt not bear false witness. That's commandment number nine. What part does that come from? Part one or part two? Part two. Honor thy father and mother. What part does that come from? Part one or part two? Part two. Commandment number five. 
And then notice he says, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, which is just a commandment that kind of covers that entire section. Notice that the commandments that Jesus mentions are all in part two. They are the commandments dealing with man's relationship with man. You say, why does Jesus do this? Because look, this guy was pretty good at keeping the commandments that dealt with man's relationship with men. When it came to him dealing and treating other people fairly and right, he had it all put together. So Jesus begins, because remember, Jesus is trying to bring, because Jesus is using the law as a schoolmaster to draw him to Christ. And he's kind of laying this net. And this guy says, hey, I believe that mere man can be good, and that mere man can be good enough to go to heaven. In fact, I believe that about myself. This is what the rich young ruler is saying to Jesus. I believe that I'm good, and I'm good enough to go to heaven. And I'm not really here because I want you to tell me that I'm wrong. I'm here for you to affirm that for me. And Jesus says, okay, well, you want me to affirm that for you? Sure, that's true. If you give the commandments, you can go to heaven. Which ones? Well, and he gives them all part two. And then notice what he says. Notice what he says in verse 20. The young man saith unto him, feeling really good about himself, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? He says, well, I've kept all of them. I'm good and I'm good enough. And he says, what am I lacking? Tell me what I'm lacking. And I can imagine Jesus kind of having a smile on his face, thinking to himself, well, I'm glad you asked. Because in verse 21, Jesus says this. Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, the word perfect means complete. It means whole. He says, okay, you, you're, you're rocking it. You're killing it. When it comes to part two, you got it. But you know what? There's more to the commandments than just part two. There's a whole other part called part one. And he says, if you're going to be perfect, if you're going to be complete, if you're going to be whole, he says, well, let me... Let me let me test you real quick. He says, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And people say, oh, is Jesus teaching a social gospel here? Oh, we're just supposed to go feed the homeless and that'll get us to heaven. No, that's work salvation. Again, you're not Jesus. Don't try this at home, folks. You can't read people's minds. I perceive that you have a problem with gambling. So you start dealing with gambling. Person's like, what are you talking about? That's why when we go soul winning, we just deal in generalities. You know, the Bible says there's none righteous. The Bible says we're all sinners. The Bible says that even one sin will send you to hell. Jesus can do this. You know why Jesus can do this? Because Jesus is God. And he's just putting his finger right where it hurts. He says, okay, you're, you're right. You're so good. You're so great. You're so awesome. Then go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Verse 22. But when the young man heard that saying, did he get saved? No. He went away sorrowful. Why? For he had great possessions. See, this young man had a problem. You know what it was? He loved his money more than he loved God. And though he was rocking part two, loving thy neighbor as thyself, he had a major problem with loving the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Because you know that if he loved God with everything, he'd have no problem giving up his money. And what is Jesus doing? He's just letting this young man know, not only are you not good, you're not good enough. You might be good by human standards, but you're failing. You can't keep the law. And the Bible says he went away 
sorrowful. You say, why? Because he failed at the first part, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And the point is this, and here's the point that Jesus is trying to make. He's trying to make the point, you're not good enough to go to heaven. There's one good, and it's God. And you're not it. You're not God, and you're not good. And that's why we begin the conversation in verse 17 with, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. So Jesus, the responsible soul winner, takes the hang-ups of a religious sinner and we watch him handle it properly as a responsible soul winner. Let me give you a third thing we see in the story quickly. We'll, we'll be done here soon. I said, number one, we see the hang-ups of a religious sinner. I said, number two, we see how it's handled by a responsible soul winner. Number three, we see the humility required for salvation. You know how salvation requires humility? Notice verse 22. Notice what Jesus said. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Verse 23. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. So this young man, not only is he religious, he's also rich. Right? The rich young ruler. And he leaves because he has great possessions. And then Jesus turns around and looks at his disciples. And he uses this as a teaching moment. And he says, look, verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. You know what Jesus literally said? He's saying, there's going to be just few rich people that go to heaven. You say, what in the world? Is there something wrong with money? You know what? There's nothing in the world wrong with money. There's something wrong with loving money. That's what this young man he loved his money. The love of money is the root of all evil, that's what the Bible says. There's nothing wrong with money. In fact, it's interesting, in the Bible, if you study the Bible, God used many rich people to further the cause of Christ. He used all sorts of rich and wealthy and successful people to do great things. But Jesus is just giving a statement of reality that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And you know what? This is true. Go with us. Soul winning into the ghettos and low-income neighborhoods and see how receptive they are and then go with us to the nice, rich, gated neighborhoods and see how receptive they are and you'll know that what Jesus is saying is true. Rich people hardly will get saved. Verily I say unto you that a rich man hardly will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 24, he says, And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And you say, but does it have to do with them being rich? It has nothing to do with them being rich. It has everything to do with them being humble. Because here's what it comes down to. In order to be saved, you have to have enough humility to say, I can't do this on my own. I'm not good, and I'm not good enough. And if I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going to need somebody to save me. And you know the problem with very successful rich people is that they get this mindset that I'm self-reliant. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I got it done. I made it happen. I don't need nobody. And they get to the point where a lot of them even think they don't need God. They're self-sufficient. And they're self-reliant. Nothing wrong with money. But he says, look, an unfortunate byproduct of being wealthy and successful is that it sometimes brings you to the place where you can't say, I need help. And he says, in order to be saved, in order... See, salvation requires humility. 
Salvation requires the humility to say, I can't do this on my own. And by the way, if you look at the context of the passage, notice that right before our story begins with the rich young ruler, notice what he says in verse 14, Matthew 19, verse 14. Now the story begins in verse 16. And verse 14, actually look at verse 13. Then were there brought unto him little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid hands on them and departed, and behold, one came and said unto him, Good master. And we begin our story. You realize that the context of the story leading up to the story was little children coming to Jesus, wanting to be held by him? Go to Matthew chapter 18, look at verse 1. Say, what does that have to do with anything? What does that have to do with the connection? Everything in the Bible is connected. By the way, this is why man could not write the Bible. I don't have time to go into this. You maybe can study this out on your own. But the passage about the children is connected to the story of the rich young ruler. And the story of the rich young ruler is connected to the very next parable that Jesus gives in the next chapter. They're all connected. Man couldn't write this book. You're not smart enough. Not only are you not good enough, you're not smart enough. (laughs) Matthew 18, look at verse 1. And at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of him, and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted. Is that a term we use for salvation? He said, there needs to be a conversion. You need to go from self-sufficient, self-reliant, to I need help. I can't do this on my own. He said, except you be converted and become as little children, don't miss this, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Why did Jesus say that it's going to be hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven? Because the way you enter the kingdom of heaven is become like a little child. And if you don't have children or you don't have young children or you haven't been around young children, let me explain to you. I've got six little children. I've got six children from ages 11 down to, I don't know, nine months or whatever. And I will tell you, the number one characteristic of little children is that they need you. (laughs) They need help. And they are not afraid to ask for it. They are not afraid to cry for it. They are not afraid to let you know, hey, you brought me into this world, mom. You need to feed me. You need to change me. You need to do for me because I can't do for myself. That's what little children believe. That's what they do. And Jesus said, hey, except you be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall, don't miss this, humble himself as this little child, the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You say, what was wrong with the rich young ruler? Here's what was wrong with him. He thought he was good, and he thought he was good enough, and he was not willing to humble himself like a little child and say, I need help. So not only, not only do we see the hang-ups of a religious sinner, not only do we see how it was handled by a responsible soul winner, but we also see in the story the humility required for salvation. And here's the thing, and we're done, but you need to understand this. There are going to be all sorts of nice, kind, moral religious people 
who die and go to hell because they thought they were good and they thought they were good enough. And they weren't willing to humble themselves and say, I need help. And let me tell you something. You soul winners, you better get out there. Oh, well, I don't, I don't really deal with the law. I kind of bypass that. You better deal with the law. Jesus dealt with the law. Jesus used the law as a schoolmaster to bring people to Christ because, listen, no one is ready to get saved until they realize they need to be saved. And it's interesting to me. Let this encourage some of you soul winners. It's interesting to me. In this series, we've now been out soul winning with Jesus three times. We've seen him present the gospel three different times. Nicodemus, the woman at the well, the rich young ruler. Two of them did not get saved. Only one got saved. Uh, I go soul winning and I haven't seen anybody saved in three weeks. I guess somebody saved once every third week. Well, I mean, are you better than Jesus? And notice Jesus didn't run after this guy. No, 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 just say this prayer. Just say this prayer. No, Jesus let him walk away. You say, why? Because he wasn't ready. Because he wasn't ready. Because he thought he was good and he thought he was good enough. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for these stories, these encounters where we can watch you, where we can see you, talk to people, deal with people. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn of you and to emphasize what you emphasize, to spend time where you spend time. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be thorough and responsible soul winners preaching the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be able to find self-righteous religious people who think they're good and they're good enough and to explain to them the gospel that we're all sinners, there is none good, and that's why Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins. We love you. Thank you for salvation.